to his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which one of you, taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If you then be not able to do that which is least, why take you thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. Yet I say to you, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? But rather seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves bags, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, where moth doesn't corrupt, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for being with us as we continue from our last lesson where Jesus, having warned of covetousness, went on to share a parable concerning laying up treasure for oneself and not being rich towards God. But now, Jesus comforts his disciples once again. He tells us not to be anxious or worry about our life even as the world's worry and anxiety surrounds us on a daily basis. And Jesus ends up by saying, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, is your top priority God's priority? In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it is written, Having been raised up with Christ, we are to set our minds on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not on things on the earth. Dr. Mitchell continues on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Thank you. We again come to you with studies in the Gospel through Luke. I sincerely hope that the Lord is talking to your heart these days as we take up these uh, instructions and warnings from the Savior. We are in chapter 12, and we've been having how the Lord is, has warned concerning hypocrisy and concerning covetousness. And now from verses 22 to 34, he is dealing with his care for his own. But before I go through that, into that, may I just say by way of contrast, you'll notice in verses 13 down through verse 21, 
He's been dealing here with the question of the sin of covetousness. The one of the root sins in the human heart is covetousness. And what a great deal of damage it does with individuals, with families. For example, here, our Lord speaks here of a family being, di being disrupted and broken because of covetousness. Then he gives to us an illustration of covetousness using uh, a, a farmer who was very, very successful in farming, and he was going to pull down his barns and big, bigger barns, and he was going to gather all his stuff together, and he was going to take his ease. And all the way through you have, I will, I will, I will. He was an egotist. He was occupied with himself. In other words, he was the center of his own little world, like a lot of folk are today. They are the center of their little world, and everybody must, must fit into his world or her world. And I'm sure that if I, if I knew this man of whom our Lord was speaking, because it's a definite proposition, a certain man, you remember, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and I'm sure that the Lord had in, in mind some real case. And the chances are that this man was so self-centered, so materialistic, everything had a bow to his great desire for his material gain and for himself. And this could be multiplied hundreds of thousands of times. And the tragedy is sometimes that I've met Christians the same way. And what I'm trying to get to your heart is remember what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And I'll tell you very frankly, this materialistic philosophy of life here in America, which is possibly one of the most popular philosophies of life, has swept into the Christian church too. And how easy it is even for Christians to be caught into a materialistic philosophy of life where their own families Oftentimes they're in misery. I'm speaking very bluntly that there are some families that are being broken up, Christian families, because of a father who has a materialistic philosophy of life and everything must bow to that philosophy. They're reckoning without God. I know that men say it's uh, when a fellow is successful in business and he and he gathers together all that he has made and is retired and having a good time, from a human viewpoint, that's wonderful. But have you left God out? Have you left God out? May I remind you again, you came into this world naked, and you'll go out naked. And a man who does not bring God into his life, into his planning, God says, he's a fool. This is what God says. Man says, I will, I will, I'm wise, I'm, I'm making provident for the future. God says, you're a fool. Why? He left God out of his reckoning. He left God out of his plans. I can't help but repeat this from this last message because I know there are so, so, so many, even Christians, who are being affected by a materialistic philosophy. And I'm sure I'm talking to those two who have never accepted the Savior, and the great goal in life is to be materialistic, su successful in all your business dealings, and uh, to, to have enough to take care of your wife and your family and your grandchildren and so on. 
you sit back the center of your little world and left God out. Oh, for the Christian, the man who builds for eternity has all eternity to enjoy it, and he never loses it. We build our treasure for in heaven, where thieves do not break through and where uh, rust doesn't corrupt. I tell you, it's a wonderful thing to have God in your life. Now, I'm not saying he won't make you successful. Don't misunderstand me. What a matter is, have you left God out? Have you left God out? Now, starting from there in verse 22, he goes on, right on down through verse 34, and talks about God's care for his children. It's a wonderful thing. He's, then he turns now to his disciples again, and he says, Therefore I say unto you, now he started away in the beginning of the chapter of our Lord saying, Don't you worry about things. Five sparrows are sold for two farthings, and your father takes care of them, and you are of much more value than many sparrows. Then, then he, he turns from that and answers the question of, of a materialistic philosophy. He warns against covetousness. This was to the whole crowd. Now he turns again back to his disciples and continues his, his discussion on the Father's care. He started in verse 6 and 7, and now he picks it up again in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, carrion if you please. They neither sow nor reap, they, they neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which one of you, taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? Approximately, can you add 18, 18 inches to your height? If you then be not able to do that which is least, putting 18 inches on the top of you, why take you thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not, yet I say to you, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow was cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now just stop right there for a moment. Now he's been, he's been uh, warning them about, about worrying about things. Now he's going to talk about his care for his own. He knows all your needs. Remember in Philippians chapter 4, the 6th verse, in nothing be anxious, don't worry, in nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God shall guard your heart. And the peace and the God of peace shall be with you. In Philippians 4.19, you remember in the same chapter, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So he says in verses 22 and 23, don't worry. Take no thought for your life what you shall eat. He's not saying you shouldn't care for yourself. He's just telling you not to worry about it. You remember in the book of Job, chapter 14, verse 5, uh, he talks about the fact that chapter starts, by the way, with man that is born of woman, his days are few, and full of trouble, and he goes on to speak of the fact uh, that he that he that he that our ways are in his hand. He numbers our steps. 
You know, I like to think of it. He numbers our steps. Uh, he knows our ways. Uh, our times are in his hands. And dear David could say in the 56th Psalm, he asks the Lord to put his tears in a bottle and he numbers the hairs of your head. Huh. How much more detail do you want? He numbers your steps. He, he knows the way you take. He bottles your tears. Your times are in his hands. He numbers the hairs of your head. Can't you trust him? You see, you, you as an individual is far more important than your body. And he cares, not only for you, but he cares for the very things you need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I again come back to the 139th Psalm. I wish you'd read that Psalm through. He knows your thoughts are far off. He knows when you stand up. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you go out. He knows when you come in. He knows all about it. If I take the wings of the morning and fly to the ends of the earth, when I get there, I find God waiting for me. He knew me before I was born. He knew me when I was in my mother's womb. He's known me every second of the time that I've lived on earth. He knows all about me. And he cares for me. For you too. I'm talking about those who've accepted him, his children. I tell you, my friend, God takes care of his children. God bought you for himself. Don't you think he'll take care of his possessions? Of course he will. And even the very, the very detail of life, he takes care of the lilies of the field. Listen to what he says. Consider the Raymonds. Here's an encouragement, 24 to 28. Why were an encouragement? Look at the ravens. This is the carrion. They neither sow nor they reap. They haven't any storehouse. They haven't any barns. And God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? You say, well, are you against building barns? No, of course not. But he's talking about the, uh, the ravens of the field, the birds of the air. They don't have any storehouse. They don't build barns. They haven't the capacity for it. God's given you capacity to build barns. He's given you capacity to plow fields. He's given you capacity to do things. You were made in the image of God with capacity, with a will. Men invent things. Men have tremendous capacity. In fact, men want to be worshipped as God. But if God takes care of the smallest of his creatures, even the birds of the air, even the beetles in the field, if he takes care of the lilies, can't he take care of you? Can't he take care of you? Look at the lilies. They toil not. They spin not. And yet I want to say to you, said our Lord, that Solomon in all his glory was not read like one of these. And Solomon was rayed in the finest of clothes and gold and silver, you name it. One of the wealthiest men that ever lived. Yet a lily, yet a lily is more beautiful than Solomon. Who took care of the lily? God. Who takes care of the fowl? The Lord. Who will take care of you? The Lord himself. But he wants you to be in that place where he will be the center of your life, 
he doesn't want you to worry about things, which brings us now, of course, uh, to verse 29 to 34. And he calls it, he is an exhortation. Having talked, having given the encouragement about the birds and the fowls and the grass, and God will take care of the small seaweed creatures, as someone has said that two birds were talking. Somebody wrote a poem about this. I don't know where it was. But one bird says to the other, talking about men and women, these creatures must not have a heavenly father. They worry so much. They worry so much. And the birds don't worry. Now the exhortation, and, and, and it calls now for the will. Ah, you don't sit down and twaddle your thumbs. No, now there's your side of it. God will take care of you. What's your side? Verse 29. Seek not, do not seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or be of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Now the Father knows your need. But the whole world is occupied with things, eating, drinking, possessions, so forth. Covetous, self-centered, so on. But what shall I do? If my Father knows all that I need, if he takes care of these things, what am I to do? Verse 31 is called for some action. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, where moth doesn't corrupt, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now let me just briefly suggest this to you. The supreme passion of your life should not be things, but God. This is what he wants. He's speaking here that we should not be anxious or worry about temporal things. They are not to be the passion of your life. Our supreme passion should be Christ and then his kingdom. Now, this calls for action. Now, you, you, find, you find this, by the way, all through your New Testament. For example, a verse comes to my mind in uh, Colossians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul, in those first four verses, you remember, says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ sitteth. Set your affection on things above not on things on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. You see. Now, this calls for action. May I just say there'll be no revival of the gospel or of God's people unless they do something about it. We can't sit down and be indifferent and cold and callous. Christianity, if it's anything at all, is active. Uh, we prove our love for God, for example, by our actions toward others. God sees my faith. Men experience my love. Christianity, I say, is an active thing. So it's rather, don't seek, don't set your affection upon passing temporal, material things. Now, it, I'm not saying they don't have a place in our lives but they shouldn't be the central place. Christ should be the central place. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added to you. Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. The Father's going to give you the kingdom, and you cooperate with him. You seek the things that are above. Did you notice something? Little flock, your Father, the kingdom. Little flock, yes, we are his, we are his sheep. He is our shepherd, and he cares for us. Hence, fear not. He's your father, and because he's our father, he loves us. Hence, don't fear. He's going to give you the kingdom. He's going to be our king. He's going to rule with all authority. Hence, no room for fear. What I'm trying to get to you is here. All through the chapter, we've had him exhorting his disciples to center our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. To seek the things that are above. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where is your heart today? In materialistic things, things that are passing, things of the world, or is the very center of your affection the person of our Savior who gave himself to redeem us out of all iniquity and purify unto himself a people for his possession? Friend, does the Lord have your affection? Is he the center of your affection and devotion? I just suggest this because it's so obvious here. Seek ye the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added unto you. Your life will be enriched with spiritual realities, with eternal verities. This is what John has in mind in 1 John chapter 2, about verse, uh, oh, about verse 17, 16, 17, where he's been talking about the world coming into a believer's life, you remember? And uh, he speaks of the loss of the flesh and the loss of the eyes and the pride of life, which are not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Same thing. I ask you, Christian friend, today, what is the very center of your affection and devotion? Is it God or is it material things? If it's material things, then you're going to be bankrupt spiritually. If material things is the very center of your life, the object of your life, you're going to lose everything. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then make him the center and use the material things for the glory of God. If you're not a Christian, you've never accepted the Savior, and your life is made up of material things, my friend, those very things will make you miserable. I have seen millionaires miserable. They're never satisfied. They never have peace. They're full of worry. And I've seen dear people living in sod shacks, homesteaders, happy as bugs in a rug, if I can use that term, but enjoying the Savior. Not much of this world's goods, no, sir, but happy in the Lord. And they are rich. There's no worry. And the other man with his millions is still, is still poor. He's getting nothing out of life. Where is your heart? Where your treasure is? Where's your treasure? Is Christ the center of your affection? 
or is it material things? Remember the words of our Savior. This fellow said, I will build my barns, Jesus. God says, you're a fool. Don't fritter away your time on passing things when you can enjoy the eternal verities of a wonderful Savior and Lord. And he's the one who can save you if you put your trust in him. The Lord bless you today for his name's sake. In my darkness, Jesus found me, touched my eyes and made me see, broke sin's chains that long had bound me, brought me life and liberty. Oh, glorious love of Christ, my Lord divine, that made him Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.